First Timothy chapter four. And I want to read one of my favorite passages of scripture in first Timothy chapter four. And I, I would title this particular message, someone somewhere, someone somewhere. So as you turn to first Timothy chapter four, I don't know about you, but for the longest time in, in my journey with, with Christ and in my faith, it, it's always been a question of, am I doing it right? Have you ever found yourself questioning yourself or asking, am I doing it right? Am I, am I, am I being the example that I should be? Am I making the decisions I should be? Am I, am I obeying God's word to the greatest of my ability? Am I walking in his will? Am I, am I doing the things that God has planned for me? And I would tell you that that is the most confusing question or questions that you'll ever ask yourself because never does God really just come out and tell you, okay, here's your 10-year plan, your 15-year plan, and, and when you reach 30 or 40 or 50, this is what I'm going to have you be doing in this particular city, in this particular job. And a lot of time, we spend a lot of our, our days questioning, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? Am I, am I messing it up? How am I doing and what I want to do is I want to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And it was also something that came to mind. Uh, little Annie Mae was born in January of 2019. And I remember when we came back after her 24-hour or her 48-hour appointment, whatever it was, um, we got a really big snowstorm. And it was really, really beautiful. And we got like four or five, six inches of snow. And for us here, that was the most we had had in a few winters. And I remember Obs and Addie were so excited to go out and play. And, and we went out and we made snow, you know, the, we made the snowballs and had a snowball fight. And we made a snowman or attempted to. Um, it was my version of a snowman. And, and we tried to do it. And, and here we were. And, and we had an awesome time. But I can remember while we were outside playing, me and my two older girls, Obs at the time was about five and a half going on six. And Adeline was three and a half going on four. And I can remember at one particular time after we were playing and building the snowman, because they had short attention spans at that particular time, Aubriana Grace thought it would be a great idea to just wander around the yard in the parking lot. And you know, there's no one traveling and there's no traffic, so I was, I was fine with it. And she was walking. And I can remember thinking, um, you know, how great it was to just be home. But then all of a sudden, as, as Aubriana took off into the parking lot, I actually snapped a photo. I just don't have it on this phone. It was on my old one. Um, took off right behind her. And I can remember watching Addie follow Obs through the parking lot. And I can remember thinking to myself of the words written here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, because Addie was never instructed by me to follow her sister. And, and Obs never called to Addie to ask her to follow her. It was just the fact that Addie looked up to her big sister in a way that she wanted to follow. And I can remember watching little Addie girl, the most uncoordinated three-year-old you had ever met in your life, trying to step in the same footprints as her older sister. And I can remember thinking to myself that very moment that you and I, all of us, are leading someone. It may just be one somewhere. And we may not even be calling on them. We may not even be texting them all the time. But I'm telling you that you and I all are influencing someone. It may just be one or maybe many. And we're influencing them and pointing them somewhere. And we're leading them somewhere. And now in today's world, there are many names that are on the social media platforms. And you know what their jobs are? Like some of us have to work. They're called influencers. 
to where all they do is just post pictures of themselves with their, with their farmhouse decorations and their, you know, and their new finds on whatever website, and, and they'll advertise, but they are getting paid lots and lots of money. And two of the biggest names that happened in my day and age were Logan and Jake Paul. They started out making vines. Does anybody remember Vine videos? Little six-second videos that you would make the stupidest thing ever and try to get the most likes. And they were six-second videos that you would make of yourself, you know, running into a wall or, or uh, you know, stomping onto something just to make it as silly as possible. And that's where these two Paul brothers started. They made a bunch of little six-second videos, and then it transitioned into a YouTube channel. And now they're living in Hollywood, making millions and millions of dollars to make videos. And they're called influencers. And I thought, none of us will probably ever have the platform that they may have but all of us are influencing someone, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe 100, maybe 300 people somewhere. So let's look at 1 Timothy 4. I got to switch. The static's killing my ear. 1 Timothy, huh? Yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 12. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a young Timothy as he's left in Ephesus to oversee, to shepherd, to pastor a church. And he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let me just give you a little context of what Paul is saying. Paul is telling young Timothy, listen, you are a young man. And you are going to be shepherding. You're going to be overseeing people who are much older than you. And I don't know if you've ever been in this particular position, but sometimes older people don't like to hear from a younger person. You know, because they have experience or they may feel like they are wiser, they are smarter, they've been there. But sometimes a younger person might be wiser than you. Sometimes a person that is younger may have new intuition or a different perspective to give you uh, what you may need. And what Paul is telling him is, listen, I'm going, to set you, uh, I'm going to set you up here to run this church, to shepherd this church, to take this particular flock of people and to oversee them. And you're going to be the one to teach them and to preach to them and to hold them accountable and to drive out all false teachings and, and let no one despise you for your youth. But he says to set an example. So one of the questions that we have are, am I doing this the right way? Am I, am I living the right way? Am I, am I really pleasing God the right way? Am I truly making disciples the right way? Am I, am I walking in His way and in His will? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to quickly look at all five of these areas of influence that you and I all have. And we're going to determine what kind of influence you and I possess and what kind of direction you and I are pointing other people. So in all that you do, in all that I do, in all that I say, all that I am, all that I think, all that I do, I should be focused on the most important thing other than my own faith and relationship with Jesus to point other people to Jesus. 
So you and I are commanded to make disciples. Therefore, my life should point other people to Jesus. The way that I speech and my conduct and all of these things that we're going to look at, it should all be focused on pointing people to Jesus. The problem is sometimes there are many people that in the way that they speak or the way that they live or the way that they uh, conduct themselves are actually leading people away. So let's start with, first of, first of all, he says, set an example in speech. Now, this could be a double meaning for young Timothy, who was the preacher, if you may call him that, of the church, the shepherd, the overseer of the church, who would be reading the scriptures to the people. And he, he would be speaking to the people, and he would be held accountable to speak truth and sound doctrine and not teach any Pharisee or any false gospel. And, and that's the way that he would, he would be speaking to the people. But it also refers to the power in which you and I all possess with our tongue. Did you know that you and I, the deadliest weapon that you and I may ever carry is the tongue that sits inside our mouth? The Bible says that life and death is in the tongue. Now, what that does not mean is that you and I can speak things into existence. You know, I'm not going to speak into existence a, a very rich bank account, or I'm not going to speak things into existence or be able to, to kill things necessarily with my speech. But what it does mean is that in my tongue, with my mouth, I can speak life or I can speak death. I can give you encouragement and I can point you in directions of hope and I can use my mouth as a, as a mighty tool to encourage you and influence you in the way of pursuing life and enjoying life and living life. Or at the very same time, this little bit of a, of a tongue, that, that little mouth that you and I all possess can also cause death. And what that means is that you and I can discourage people, we can belittle people, we can destroy people, and then we can actually spit out a lot of hate. So with all of our time, but here's the cool thing about today's world. It doesn't just mean your mouth. Because you can talk as politically correct or as polite as possible, but if your DMs or your text messages are full of hate... It's the exact same thing. How is it that you speak, whether it be through communicating with our mouth orally, or whether it be communicating through text, email, Facebook messages, or whatever other platform you may use, if there is foul language or vulgar talk or anything that's distracting people or discouraging people or any kind of hate coming from our mouth, we have to evaluate how our speech is conducted. So we have to ask ourselves this question, does your speech honor the name of Jesus? I mean, in all that you do, all that you text, all that you type, all that you say, does it honor the name of Jesus and does it point people to Jesus? Because if we are not pointing people to Jesus in the way that we speak, then we are failing with our speech. We are failing in the way that we talk to one another. So you and I, in our, in our little bit of clout, if we can use that term, in our little bit of area of influence, in our little bit of followers, in our little bit of people that look up to us, if you and I are speaking in a way that does not point people to Jesus and is always belittling people and always spitting out hate, then people are never going to see the gospel or hear the gospel through us. And the next thing that Paul talks about is conduct. Conduct. This is attached to your behavior and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you live. And here, here's the thing. This is not just on Sunday morning conduct, but the way that you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 
Yes, even Friday and Saturday are the ways that people will either see Jesus in you or you will turn them completely away. And I'm not just talking about a hypocritical Christianity that we try to possess and, and try to conduct ourselves as if we got it all put together. But what kind of genuine conduct do you live with? What kind of genuine behavior do you carry out? And I'm telling you, there are people that you may not even talk to on a daily basis that are looking at you. They are looking at you. And they're looking at you one of two ways. They're looking at you so that they can maybe imitate you because they see something in you that they truly cherish. They see something in you that they do not currently possess and they want to be more and more like you. Maybe, you know, we all know those people that are much holier than we are and we see someone and we say, I want to be like them. I want to live like them. I want whatever they have. But then there's also people that are going to be looking at you just to see you fall just to see you crumble, just to see you make mistakes so that they can point you out as a typical hypocritical Christian just like the rest of us. So do we give the people the opportunity to look at us and say we are completely apart from Jesus? Or does our behavior, does the way we conduct ourselves actually point people to desire Jesus more and more? So in our speech and in our conduct, we we could just close it down early. And we could not even move on to the next three. But in the way that you talk, in the way that you walk, do people see Jesus in you? Or do they see someone in you that is completely different with a Sunday mask and a Friday mask and a work group mask and a bowling mask and a golf mask and a fishing or a shopping or a texting or a Facebooking? I mean, we could go on and on and on and on about all of the personalities that we may actually possess in the way that we speak and the way that we act with one another. So we have to ensure that our speech and our conduct are pointing people to Jesus. And that's why Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers. But set an example. Set an example. Be an example of who Jesus is for them because they may not ever see Jesus. These are people that may not have ever had seen Jesus. They may not even see Paul. The people that are under Timothy's leadership and under Timothy's overseeing and Timothy's shepherding may never actually see the Apostle Paul and hear from the Apostle Paul, an eyewitness of Jesus. But they are to see Jesus in Timothy, who is a young man charged to lead them. The next thing, the next area of influence that you and I have is the way that we love. He says in speech and conduct. Third, he goes to say in love. You know, Jesus said that the world will know you are my disciple. How? By the love that you have for one another. So you have to ask yourself, 1 Corinthians 13 lays out the gift of love perfectly. Love is patient. Are you patient? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Depends on how old you are. I'm more patient with older people than I am with younger children, even my own. Are you kind? I mean, do you go through, we can go through the attributes of love and you can ask yourself, am I patient? Am I kind? Am I arrogant? Am I rude? Am I boastful? Am I I insisting on my own way? And what you will see is that if you are to genuinely love people the way that God calls you to love, you will find that you are patient, that you are kind, that you are not boastful, that you are not rude, that you do not insist on your own. And then one of the biggest things is that love keeps no record of what? Wrongdoing. 
Does your love for people, only, is it only contained to the way that they treat you and the life in which they live? So, so whenever we want to set an example, when we want to ensure that we are doing this life right and, and we're trying to juggle work, we're trying to juggle our faith, we're trying to juggle parenting, we're trying to juggle you know, retirement, we're trying to juggle all of these things, love is something that can be very, very difficult for us because we like to love the people that love us really well, but it is difficult to love our enemies and to pray for our persecutors. It's very difficult to love people that have hurt us or offended us, but Jesus says that we are to what? Love. Jesus says that we are to forgive. Or you could ask yourself, do people see in you someone that is loving, someone that is gracious, someone that is tender, someone that is kind? Or do they see in you this one? Are you this one? Just uh, <laughs> They ask you how you're doing. Good? I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like, are, are you this person that no one wants to be around because you're so bitter and you're so broken and you're so hateful and, and no one enjoys talking to you because all you have to say are negative things about every single person that you've ever come into contact with? Or do, do people enjoy being around you because the way that you love them, the way that you love other people, the way that you are, are gracious and merciful to other people, and the way that you actually look at other people who are also broken? Here's the beautiful thing. This has taken me a few years to realize, even as a pastor, is not one person in these pews will ever be perfect. Not one. Not even you. You know, it's very easy for us to point out all of the imperfections of everyone else and get so frustrated with imperfect people and all the silly decisions they're making and all of the wrong things they're doing and all of their faults. And, and then what happens is we grow bitter with them or we hold the grudges against them and, and we never forgive them. And what we do is we choose not to love them because they're imperfect and they're broken. Well, guess what? So are you. So are you. I mean, if we were to base this church off perfect people, I'm telling you, this place would be shut down in just a matter of days. Amen. So it is our responsibility. It is your responsibility. You are charged to set an example and to love your neighbor. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. If you could just take a minute and just look around. That's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Some of the neighbors are good looking. Some not as much. Some of the neighbors are kind of nice to me. And some not as much. Some of the neighbors are meaner. But that's your neighbor. Do you truly love your neighbor? Or do you truly or consciously choose to love the ones that love you back? Is it difficult for you to actually be kind to someone that you may not know or someone that has upset you or offended you or said something mean about you? Is it, and the problem is, is we are always, always going to hold on to something. And if we don't let go of the offenses, if we don't choose to forgive, and if we don't choose to love, then we will constantly drown in our own pity, our own pity and our own bitterness. We will just drown ourselves in bitterness. And what I'm, I'm telling you, the most freeing thing to see is someone who is just genuinely loving all people. I have a grandmother that is just, she's just a loving soul. I mean, you, I can remember telling her as a kid, I'll never come back here. I never want to come back here. 
and she still made me biscuits and gravy the next morning. And, and she still, she never spanked me. And now my grandpa, he was the enforcer. But I can remember being so upset because I didn't get what I wanted all the time. And, and I can remember telling her, I'm never coming back. This is not fun. You're so mean. And she would just lovingly look at me and smile and, and tell me to sit down and calm down. And that's the kind of soul we all should be. The kind of soul that we don't worry so much about the little petty things in this life that may come our way or that people may do because as you look around, you have to also understand imperfect people are going to make imperfect decisions and they're going to make broken mistakes and we are to love them through it all. So do you truly love people? Or do you just choose to like the ones that are more like you? The fourth thing he goes to talk about is faith. Faith. He says, set an example in faith. And this is the kind of faith, yes, faith in Jesus is, is most important, but he's also talking about how you and I are to possess a faith that isn't hidden. That, that you and I, if our faith in Jesus and our relationship with Him is truly important to us, then it should be evident to those around us. People should see that you and I, as Adam was talking about, we, I'm pretty sure we were the only group that sat in a huddle inside of our canopy yesterday and prayed together. Prayed that, you know, one, that we would stay safe and healthy, but two, that we would kick some you know, butt up in, in St. Charles. But we prayed together. We just prayed that God would be glorified, that we would keep our cool at all times and just truly represent Him well, and that, and that you, each and every one of us would truly remember what we were up there to do. Did you know that other than sore muscles, I walked away with, none of us walked away with anything that was going to change our lives forever, but it was a beautiful opportunity to go up together. And you know, every single person that competed from our gym just as the other gyms, all hurt today a little bit. And we all suffered together. But you know what we all did is we pushed each other, we prayed together, and we wanted to possess a faith and demonstrate our faith in a way that even at the Cybergs restaurant, which was not much of a restaurant after we left, and, and the Red Robin restaurant that we went to, we wanted to make sure that as a group of 20 people or more that we sat down and we prayed before we ate and we prayed before we worked out. So do you possess a faith that people see? Or do you have to tell them about it? I mean, do you have to tell people that you are actually a Christian? Do you possess the evidence in your life that people can see Jesus in you without you even opening your mouth? Or without even sharing a Christian you know, Facebook picture or a Bible verse? Do you possess the faith that people know if I need someone to pray with me, this particular person will get on their knees or on their face right in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter what it is. They will pray with me. They will pray for me. They will be the ones to answer my call. Do you possess the faith in the Lord that people will see as a beautiful example and the influence that you have on the people around you in your, in your family, in your work group, in your Facebook profile? In your text message conversations, do they see a faith that you and I have? And we don't need to even talk about it, but they know that you and I, through our works, through our deeds, through our service, through our prayer, that we possess something that maybe they don't. Jesus said something really powerful. He said, let your, work, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven? Are people seeing our faith lived out? Do we possess a faith in the Lord? To, do we truly trust in the Lord with all of our Do we truly put all of our trust in Him? Or, or if we're not careful, 
We will trust our own ability or our own 401k than we trust ourselves. Or if we're not careful, we will trust a particular political party or political figure more than we trust the Lord. And, and, the, and the standing of our country or the standing of our world will only be dictated or determined by one particular person. And instead, we will not just rest assured in the beautiful promise that the Lord has given us that it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who's making the decisions. It doesn't matter which policies are, are going to be put into place that we have our name written in glory in a home that is being built now. Do we possess a faith that people see in us? And lastly, he says, set an example in purity. In purity. This is the constant and conscious decisions that we make to pursue holiness at all times and all things. Do we truly, constantly, and consciously Make decisions to live as holy as possible, even when no one is watching. I mean, are we truly pursuing purity as our way of living, or are we just as pure as we choose to be at the particular moment we choose to? And what he is telling young Timothy is he is saying, live for the Lord at all times, in all ways, through all things, even if the eyes are not even on you. So it's very simple. Do we truly choose to live holy? Or do we just choose to live however we want, following the desires of our flesh and, and following all of the ways of the world? Do we choose to live according to how I want? Or are we constantly and consciously making decisions to walk in step with the Spirit of God that dwells within us to make ourselves as holy as we can? So when he says to live in purity, he's saying just live with integrity and holiness so that even if people aren't watching you, you make the right decisions. Even if people aren't around you, you're constantly pursuing the Lord. You're setting your mind and you're setting on your heart on things that are holy. You're setting your mind and setting your heart and, and living your life on things that are above rather than things that are here. He says in all of this, set an example. And then he goes on to say, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you. By prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, he goes on to, write, or to read, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So one of the ways that you know, you can tell how you're doing in this life Am I doing it all wrong? Am I doing it right? Am I messing it up? Is these five areas of influence, are you truly pointing people to Christ? Or at the same time, you could be pointing people away. Because he goes on to write to young Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. And I'm here to tell you, we all must live that out. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in all this, for by doing so, he goes on to end it with this. You will save both yourself and your hearers. And by him telling him you will save yourself, it's not saying that you and I can actually save ourselves. He's actually referring to a perseverance in the faith, confirming the salvation that is given to Christ, or given to him by Christ. So if you and I will actually live in these five areas of influence as holy as we can and Christ-like as we can, we will persevere in our faith regardless of what seasons we find ourselves in or what decisions we must make. We will be perseverant in our faith. And then he goes on to say, you will save your hearers as well. 
And this is what I want us to just kind of ponder, consider today. People will hear or see the gospel in you. They will hear it from you or they will see it in you. Or they will see broken people making earthly, worldly decisions, completely living however they want. I'm telling you, there are people that you do not talk to regularly that see something in you. They, they find you, or they follow you, or they listen to you, or they read what you say, or they listen to what you have to say. And I'm telling you, each and every one of us possess a clout of influence that we may not even be aware of. And each and every one of us, regardless of whether you think, well, there ain't nobody that ever listened or followed me. I'm telling you, somebody is watching you. Somebody is listening to you. You are leading someone. It may just be one. It may just feel like only one somewhere. It may be a spouse. It may be a child. It may be a grandchild. It may be a coworker. It may be many people. It may be a life group member. It may be a Sunday school classmate. It may be a, a friend that you've had for a very long time. I'm telling you that you are leading someone somewhere. So, so what we have to understand is as little Adeline Rose was attempting to follow in the steps, those little short legs not quite able to make the big strides her five-year-old sister made, as she was attempting to follow right in the footprints, Someone is doing that with you. Where are you taking them? Where are you taking them? Are you living in a way that people see Jesus in you and they want to follow you in your footsteps, in your footprints that you leave to find Jesus themselves? Or are you leading them right into the cycles of sin? Are you leading them right to addictions and temptations? Are you leading them astray in this particular area? Are you leading them in a way that they think they can live however they want? Just throw Jesus on top and everything's going to be a-okay. Or are you living in a life? Are you setting an example for all the people you know and all the people that follow you in the area of influence that you have? Are you, are you leading them to Christ? Are you leading them to Jesus? So today, I, want, I just want today to be a good, a good gut check. A good gut check in how you are living and the influence that you have. The life that you're living, the legacy that you're leaving, the impact that you're making, the direction in which you are pointing people to. Are they getting closer to Jesus by following you? Or are they actually growing further and further? Away. Let's pray.